tonight's tonight's Bible reading comes from Luke 14 verses 1 and 7 to 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. When he noticed how the guests were picked, how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable: When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you. Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humiliated, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. have to unmute, otherwise that doesn't work. Hi, everyone. I'm Pastor Brendan. I'm delighted to be with you tonight, bringing the word. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into our series. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We pray that you open it to our hearts tonight and open up our hearts to what you have to say to us. We pray that in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the series we're going through now um, is a series that's inspired by simple suggestions of a guy called Michael Frost. He's written such books as the the, uh, Five Habits of Highly missional people and surprise the world is famous as a Christian author for asking and encouraging believers to step just a little bit outside of their comfort zone um, and go into the world that God calls us into because he believes the church has become too inward focused, too idle, and if you can't think of the last time that you spoke to a non-Christian about Jesus, then you must be forced to agree. And it's a five-week series we're in. It's the five habits we're talking about. They come with the acronym BELLS to easily remember it. That's BLESS, EAT, Listen, learn, and sent. And last week, Pastor Charlie talked about blessing people, about finding deliberately ways to be uh, generously or uh, extraordinarily kind to people, and making it obvious that you are different from the average disinterested, disinterested Aussie by the way that you bless people. And the challenge from that was that we were invited to find three opportunities to bless people through affirmations, um, through words of affirmation, through acts of kindness, and through gifts. Uh, and especially for one of those things to be one uh, performed to someone who is unchurched, who might not expect that, who doesn't know who Jesus is. Uh, And so now we're going to have an opportunity. If you did that during the week, if you followed through, we'd like to hear about it. We'd like a good news story, a little bit of a testimony. Who followed through? Who had a chance to uh, perform an act of kindness for someone or to give a word of affirmation? Is anyone willing to share with us? Yeah? Was it? I'll run down to here. I will come down from the mountain. I'm just... Hang on. Is it on? It's on. It's going. We're on. 
I just wanted to start off, but um, I had to pick Margie up from work yesterday early at 7.30 or 8 o'clock. Anyway, as I drove into Logan car park there, I looked down at the end of the car park and I saw a couple of blokes pushing a motorbike, trying to start it. And I, thought, sort of, I went and parked my car, and I, but it bugged me, so I had to go down and see. And anyway, they ended up that flat battery, so I pulled a, I got a smart starter in my car, which is just a little uh, lithium battery thing. And put on his got his bike going, and you know I didn't share anything with him, but it was it was good to be a, do a good deed for somebody and help somebody out, and who knows where it'll go. I just like to um, say that you know when I have done some things through the week, and I think, oh, you know, Pastor Charlie'd be proud of me, but <laughs> I, I realise that I think a lot of us do do lots of things like that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, just they just hopefully come naturally to us and. You know, each time I did do something, I thought, oh, wow, there was one of those things. But I, I hope that most of us... But, yeah, right. fantastic want... if we've gone out of our comfort zone. I think mm-hmm. that was the challenge part of it as well and also to be sharing Christ. But, yeah, that was sort of my experience this week. I thought, oh, wow, yeah, mm. we do. Hopefully we do do those things. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, well, the, the challenge is sort of to, is, um, to be questionable people to live questionably positive lives and that people are compelled to ask you the question, hey, why are you like that as opposed to like something else? You know, does anyone else have a story they'd like to share? That's all right. Well, I'll come chasing you individually after this at supper, those of you who don't run off to see Origin. Um, I'll hunt you down for that. But this week we're talking about the next challenge in that series. And that challenge is eat. To eat with people. That's a subject I feel eminently equipped to discuss. Don't laugh. How dare you. Um, and before we get into that, I want to show you uh, a little video. I've got two little videos tonight, but the first one um, is about how this has changed at least one person's life. I'd like to see, can we, can we get video one? We live at this time where so many Christian ideas are understood as hate speech. After the Obergefell decision legalized gay marriage, that put the gospel on a collision course with the new law of the land. And I think many Christians have been struggling with, well, how do I speak? What do I do? How do I move forward? is a vital place to invite your neighbors in to have some heartfelt conversations. We can love our children together. We can let some things slide, even though the world we live in would say that we're supposed to be enemies. To me, hospitality is the ground zero of the Christian faith. I was raised in an Italian family There were some issues in my house that made it almost impossible to have people in. So hospitality didn't really become endemic to my life until I had set up a home of my own. I was a professor at Syracuse. I lived as an out lesbian feminist in New York in our LGBTQ community. Somebody's home was open every night of the week and there was never a question, where will I go? if I need help, because the community itself is organic and fluid, and that was how we dealt with crises. After 
I wrote my tenure book, I really wanted to write a book that was on my heart. Why is the religious right such a hateful community? And why do they hate people like me? I was on a war against two things, patriarchy and stupid. So I was really curious to know why relatively decent people would use the Bible in such a hateful way. So I wrote an editorial and it brought all kinds of attention my way, which I didn't really expect. But one of the things it brought my way was a letter from Ken Smith, the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. When Ken and his wife Floy invited me to dinner, I was happy. I, th I thought of Ken as my unpaid research assistant. And they were fine with the fact that I, I wanted to read the Bible to critique it. That began a research journey that changed my life. But it wasn't research that changed my life. In Ken and Floy's home, the way that they practiced hospitality became a living, breathing example of the theology that they were teaching. After my first dinner at Ken and Floyd's house, Ken gave me a big hug, Floyd gave me a big hug and a kiss on the cheek. We said, we'll catch up next week, this was fun, can't wait to do it again. They did not share the gospel with me, and they did not invite me to church. And that was so wonderful, because what it showed to me was that they didn't see me as a project. They actually saw me as a neighbor. Now, I didn't step foot in the church for two years, but every week I was in their home. And every week, it was clear that pretty much anything could go. We could ask anything, Ken and Floyd were fine. And that process of dialogue and table fellowship was compelling. It was deeply compelling. I did not come to faith because I stopped feeling like a lesbian. It's not that I got all of my worldview issues just completely cemented with a happy Christian evangelism, not at all. I came to faith because I became convicted that Jesus is who he says he is. Ephesians 4.29 is our watchword, that we are to impart grace to the hearer. I might not agree with everything that you hold to be near and dear, but because we are neighbors, I don't have to say everything that's on my heart. And you don't have to say everything that's on your heart right now. We can put some of our worldview issues aside. And over years of this, the gospel takes on a momentum that is compelling to people. I think we need to give each other the reminder that it's God who saves. It's not about certainly us being perfect or our words being perfect, but show up we must in the lives of unbelievers. What comes naturally to me and what comes naturally to you is to hang out with people who are like us, <laughs> people who can maybe finish our sentences, people who don't scare us. But hospitality, biblically speaking, takes strangers and makes them neighbors, and takes neighbors and makes them family of God. It's a great joy to see the gospel bring people together who are supposed to be enemies, and it's a great joy to know 
that God never gets the address wrong. And if your neighbors aren't people you know yet, there's a blessing waiting for you. Show up, you must, in the lives of unbelievers. I love that line. That's uh, Rosaria Butterfield. She's our second favorite Rose Butterfield in this church. Um, and she has a whole ministry now based around hospitality ministry, this idea of just inviting people into your house and, and making it their home as well. Um, and hers is a, is a beautiful testimony. It's on YouTube if you want to see a whole testimony, which is very compelling. Um, it's beautiful for two reasons. Uh, one is because of the, the distance of the gulf that she crossed to get where she ended up, because she identified as a, a radical, feminist, atheist, lesbian academic. Um, and that's not especially distant in the, the raw, sinful sense, like in the sense you can find testimonies of murderers and monsters who God has sort of yanked out of the deepest pits of hellbound sin. But as far as people who don't have any interest in the gospel message go, um, she's sitting at what might be the most sort of distinct intersection I can think of of people who have reasons to dislike what Jesus had to say. Um, she has lots of reasons to dislike the Christian message and the Christians who tell it. And yet, God overcame every one of those obstacles. Um, and the second reason her testimony is a beautiful one is because how simple the solution actually was for her, how simple the things that were done in her life were to bridge that gap. And the nature of the bridge that her Christian friends built across that gap was sort of simple hospitality. Um, just inviting this woman over, eating with her week after week, a woman they didn't initially know, but then they knew consistently over two years. Ken and Floyd Smith invited her over, they talked with her, they got to know her, they did not initially pitch a gospel presentation at her or a church invitation immediately. They just showed genuine interest in who she was in such a way that she felt seen and recognized as a person. And over time, they talked about the gospel. She became convicted about who Jesus was, that he was who he said he was. And for all of us who are afraid that we aren't that good at apologetics or we don't have enough memorized scripture to just sort of throw verses at people in a, in a high tense situation um, to do that kind of walk-up recall evangelism. For every Christian who knows that they should be evangelizing but doesn't know really how to make that happen, this is how you can make that happen. Because living as a godly person is a witness to the gospel and this is how you get people into your lives to encounter that witness. It's through the wonderful, simple art of eating together. And um, Today as we're talking about eating as evangelism. Um, and maybe it's, maybe it's more fundamental even than just an evangelism. It's eating to connect with people uh, through which evangelism is possible. Both of our brothers and sisters in the church, but especially with those who do not belong to the church, uh, who wouldn't set foot in a church, and those who are convinced that churches are full of hostile weirdos they want nothing to do with, until you sit down with them and eat with them a few times, and then they are forced to confront that maybe you're not so far different from them, and then maybe you're actually one of the best people they've ever met, and they'd like to know why. And that begs the question, uh, why are you so different? And that is the question we want people to be asking. And so in the passage that Catherine read for us, Jesus is commenting on this uh, unseen value in the simple act of inviting people into home and feeding them. And uh, he's talking about a charity act in that case. He's instructing the host uh, to invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, the kinds of people who would be destitute and therefore would have no way to socially repay the favor that giving them a meal and an invitation to a party like this was. Jesus says, do this and you'll get your repayment in the resurrection. It's good to be charitable with what you have and God does not allow a good deed to go unremembered. But 
we actually have something more precious to share than just the simple food that we can share in that way. Jesus is the bread of life. And when we share him, we have shared something immeasurably better than just giving someone bread. And since the gospel is spread by by relationship and by proclamation, then eating together builds the relationship that gives validity to the proclamations. We can share the gospel through that simple, basic kindness when we share our homes and our food with people. And hospitality is actually a sort of an ancient practice that has become less prominent in our era, so much that when we use the word hospitality, it used to mean the art of sort of making your home feel warm and genuine and inviting to someone else. Now, more often than not, means the industry of bars and clubs, um, the least genuine, most fake places you could possibly go in our society. But hospitality is the thing we see through the Bible where everyone with a shred of honor acknowledges that the world is a dangerous, hungry, lonely place, and they need to support each other in these sort of minimal ways in it. And you were obligated to open your doors to travelers uh, who were passing through town and to share your campfire with someone on the road. Um, now, why would you trust a stranger to, uh, to invite you in? Or why would you trust the stranger that you invited into your house to treat you kindly as opposed to simply bash you over the head and steal your cutlery? There is no earthly reason, particularly. There's no police to report it to in that day. Um, there's no real expectation that you would get justice for something like that, as if you would have a, you know, an investigation to go afterwards. But God promises to hold people accountable for how they treat each other in hospitality. And uh, Exodus 22, God tells his people not to oppress or exploit the stranger or the foreigner among them, because to remember that they were foreigners and strangers in Egypt. God's calling back not just to the Hebrew enslavement, but to the time before that when there were honored guests in the Egyptian nation after Joseph had been in charge there. The Jews historically know what it's like both to be welcome in a strange land and oppressed and exploited in a strange land. And they're supposed to become the sort of the world leaders in being welcome when God commands them this. And we see this way back with Abraham when um, whenever God sent angels to, to talk to him, he would run out and he'd say, oh, welcome, please come in, come in and eat with us. He'd try and make them stay an extra couple of days. He'd call it, Sarah, defrost some more bolognese. Um, <laughs> um, when the angels come to investigate Sodom, uh, Lot comes running out to meet them, to invite them into his house, particularly because he knows how dangerous that city is for them. And, um, Jesus famously plays the other side of that image. He and his disciples are constantly relying on other people's hospitality, staying in people's homes, like in our passage, um, eating their food. And now I have to admit, this has historically been kind of a weak point for me. Not that I don't like eating with people. It's just that since moving out and then up until my 30s, I lived in a rental accommodation with between three and five other single guys uh, at any time. And that meant two things. The first one is that uh, the hallways and the stairs and most surfaces were tripping hazards because of all the land cables, spider webbing out from every bedroom to the, to the router in the lounge room. Um, and two, that the only time you really approached the kitchen was when the oven was free for your chicken nuggets. Um, I'm not complaining about that. That was awesome. But I never really developed the habit of inviting people over for the purpose of, of uh, feeding them. I didn't uh, make food for people that much. Though honestly, it's not really that hard to cook to a presentable level. So that's not really an excuse to say, ah, I can't cook. Yeah, you can. Apply, apply heat to food. Um, <laughs> it was just, my home was a place shared with other people um, that I already lived with, and it never really felt like a place to make open to others. And now that I'm 
now that I'm, I'm all grown up and I am married, um, and just, just Shelly and I in our home, that I'm feeling convicted I need to fix up the neglected barbecue sitting in our carport glaring at me every time I come home so that I can invite people over for that purpose. Because God knows that I have been the beneficiary of other people's kindness in this area. Um, and I want to be able to dispense that kindness back to people in my church family. But lest we lose focus on the purpose of this idea, it's to have a meal with people, uh, especially those who are unchurched. And if we make that the criteria, as nice as it is to actually have the warm, inviting home environment to invite people into, uh, if you want to invite them over for, for your roast pork or, or whatever you like there, or a barbe- classic barbecue or... Um, go sort of nouveau Australian, make them eggs benedict and coffee. Um, however you want to swing that, that's fine. Bonus points are available for a lovely home that showcases that you and your family live in that home in the pursuit of Jesus Christ every day, not just at church. But there's still a passing grade available in this for people if you can just find someone and eat with them somewhere. Put food in mouth. That is the minimum standard required. Find another person who also puts food in mouth and put food in mouth together. And you can bond over that. And you can talk over that. And it's a profoundly powerful way for people to shed their discomfort and their their awkwardness about one another. And I've talked previously about how we don't really think about it, but our whole society runs on these little hidden series of, uh, of meanings and gestures that allow us to trust each other, like when you're out walking and you have someone walking the other way, you briefly make eye contact, you smile, and then you you maybe say hello and you carry on and go the other way. You don't smile because you're so happy, as if you've just collided with a stranger. Oh, what a wonderful experience. You you smile because you smile when you're out walking because you know that there are actually people out there who mean you harm and who might mean them harm. And it's exhausting to worry about that all the time And by smiling at that person, you are telling them, I am not one of those people. I, like you, am just here to walk, and they smile back because for a few seconds of their life, you've made them feel marginally more secure in the world, and off they go a little bit happier. People are complicated, and the world is complicated, but everyone eats. And when you have a meal with someone, it usually has nothing to do with a fear of of a lack of nourishment for them. It's just gathering around the most basic common ground that humans have. Hello, fellow human, do you put food in mouth? (laughs) I also put food in mouth. Perhaps you would like to put food in mouth at the same time, at the same place. That's your challenge for this week. You may phrase it a little more elegantly if you like. (laughs) You don't have to, I mean, if that's... Let me know how that opening line goes next week. And when you do that, you make the world a little less dangerous, a little less unpredictable, a little less unsafe for that person because the reality is that physically our world is now much safer than it has ever been for us. We can go about and day and night with a freedom like no other time in history. If we get sick at 2 a.m., we press magic 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 buttons on a magic box and specially trained saviors will come to help us at our house. Uh, For most problems and fears... There are social and charitable safety nets that will catch us or at least cushion the fall. But everyone ultimately is walking down the road of life. And that road is dangerous and has painful trials and tripping hazards and bandits and it's frightening. And everyone either walks that road with Jesus or they are walking alone. 
And when you stop your life for half an hour and buy someone a donut and just talk to them, you are giving them a little of what hospitality meant to the ancients traveling through a foreign land. A little safety, a little human contact, a little demonstration of trust. And the heart of this idea of sharing a meal is, is that of a relationship, and that being the important part, because people have all kinds of stories about how they uh, might have led someone to Christ. And the most impressive of those stories tends to be the airplane-type story, where a Christian sits down on an airplane on a flight, someone sits next to them, they strike up a conversation, and then by the end of the flight, they are, they are holding each other over the armrest in prayer, um, and the Holy Spirit is, is entering into this stranger's heart. And this happens. Uh, it's this kind of cold call, walk-up evangelism, um, and the Lord absolutely works through that kind of thing, but most Christians hate and fear the idea of doing that. Um, and part of that's fear of rejection, but the other part of that is because Christians hate the idea of that because it feels fake to them. It feels fake because in our culture, if someone you don't know approaches you with a presentation, you know they are selling you something. They want you to buy their solar panels or tickets in a raffle, which you don't actually care about because you are a grown-up now and you don't get excited by raffles. Approaching strangers with a gospel presentation feels, in a sense, like you are selling them something. And in a sense, you are selling them something, eternal life at the cost of submission to God. It is an amazing bargain. But the only people who trust someone they meet on the street for answers about the nature of God and the universe are desperate people. Everyone else goes, those lines sound rehearsed. You sound like a fake. I'm not going to give any weight to what you are saying. Now, don't mishear me. God clearly works through these efforts anyway. And if desperate people hear the gospel through a walk-up gospel presentation and it changes their life, hallelujah, no one needs it more than desperate people. That's why they're desperate. But most people only trust uh, meaningful discussions about their lives in a genuine way to people who care about them. And you can't care about someone you met eight seconds ago. You just can't. You can love them in the most abstract way, desiring good for them, uh, but when they get on the train and they go away after the presentation, you're not going to, to fall to your knees and cry because you don't think you'll ever see them again. You've got to turn around and look for someone else to talk to because they'll just be gone and you'll get on with your life because you don't really know them, and therefore you cannot, at a deep level, really care about them. But when you spend actual time with a person, you eat with them, you uh, talk about their life, you build a genuine relationship, you actually can care about someone, and they all know it. And when you tell them about Jesus in your life, they actually have to give you credit, because they know you as a genuine person. And if you're doing it right, you are being like Jesus to them. And they know that if they were in trouble, you would help. They know that you didn't bring them into your home just to score points in a recruitment program for the church. They know you aren't faking it. And they can actually hear what you're saying without being at such a desperate point in their life that they will grab any rope thrown at them. And that's the kind of the two-edged sword in this uh, personal, slow burn, meeting one-on-one, -on -one, eating together relationship type evangelism. It's the power of showing people that you really care about them to back up the gospel message when you weave it into your time together. But there's another edge of that too, and that's worth warning about. Because if you do this, some people are going to come to you and you will come to know them, 
And they will come to know Jesus as a result of the time spent with you. And some won't. Some will turn down every gospel presentation, every mention that is given to them. Or worse, they will appear to accept it and they will muddle through it for a year and then they will decide it wasn't for them and they will walk away. And that is going to hurt you. Because relationship-based evangelism only works if it is a real relationship. And it's only a real relationship if it has the capacity to hurt you if they reject the one who can make them whole. But we're not called to a safe world by a safe God. It is going to hurt, but that is just the call on our lives. That's what it means to invest yourself in someone else's life. Because we're not faking it. We're not trying, when we invite people to to come and eat with us, we're not like uh, going through fruit at the market, like tapping and sniffing and squeezing to find the ripe ones and putting the ones, other ones at the back of the pile. Uh, we're looking for other people who might, given a relationship, given that, that genuine space to be heard, who might open up, who might hear what you have to say about Jesus. But if you're not willing to put your heart on the line for people, why should they listen to you? Why should they listen to you when you tell them to open their hearts to Jesus? Now, as far as who or how, well, the options are endless for who we should invite to eat with us and, and how we go about that. But a good place to start is your physical neighbors, the people who live around you. If you're one of those rare Australians who knows the neighbors living either side of them, congratulations, you're doing pretty well already. But what about those over the road? What about those a couple of, couple of houses up? Just keep going till you get to the edge of your knowledge base and you will find someone who you could invite over, who will have an easy time getting to your house. And if you're worried about how to start such a conversation and to make that invitation in a way someone will take it seriously, let me suggest to you a tool that they call the Franklin Effect. Um, after Benjamin Franklin, uh, American patriarch, who uh, suggested that the best thing that you can do to win over your neighbors when you move to a new place is to borrow a cup of sugar or an egg. And very few people will turn down a simple opportunity to do that kind of good. It gives them a little social leverage over you. And when you're done baking the cookies or whatever you were doing with the egg and the sugar, it's only natural to go back, to thank them, to invite them around to your place in a kind of a, a appreciation for what they've done. If you don't need sugar, borrow a wheelbarrow. Ask them to bring your bin in one weekend while you're away. Do something that puts you a little bit in debt to them to open up that relationship. And then invite them over in gratitude. This is likely to be way more effective than a simple door knock and an invitation. Now, it's possible that you don't have a space to entertain in your home, or you don't feel like that you have the money to go out and have coffee with people much. I'm asking you not to let yourself off the hook that easy. Be as creative as you need to be. You will not find an easier way to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ than by gathering with people, eating with them, getting to know them, and then telling them about Jesus that way getting people together and uh, laying the foundation of relationship is, is such a simple and powerful tool for winning people over to Christ that I urge you not to push it aside without a fight. Some churches take this idea and they do amazing works of God in standalone ministries with this principle. And I've got another little video that I came across while researching this. I wonder if you'll indulge me. Can we get the video too, real quick? Take a look at this.
called the nun zone because most people living there claim no religious affiliation. But one church may have found the secret to reaching the unreachable. Abigail Robertson shows us that their success started when they went back to the Bible. Seven years ago, the future looked pretty bleak for Westminster Community Church, a 92-year-old congregation located in Seattle. We started to decline at a pretty, pretty crazy rate. In fact, I published that our going out of business date was going to be November of 2011 if we didn't do something different. The more the city grew, the more its people changed. 90% of Seattle are very secularized in their worldview. Members of Westminster realized they had to roll with these changes in order to reach these people. So if we're hoping to stay in business here, we need to know how to take seculars to, to heaven in a way that they would gladly go. After a number of failed attempts, church leaders decided on a tactic from biblical times. The church for the three, first 300 years, it really was a dinner church. And once we started to own that, we thought, well, we've tried everything else and failed miserably. Let's go try this. Lead pastor Verlin Fosner says it only took about six weeks for their community dinners to make a difference. They were just flooding at us. So they just start grabbing a hold of their friends and say, hey, this is the family dinner table uh, for this, neighbor, this neighborhood. And we've all wanted to be neighbors. Well, now we've got a spot to have a family dinner and this church provides it and they talk about Jesus. And it's actually kind of interesting and it's not real religious, but it's very, it's inspiring to us. Each night of the week, Community Dinners opens their doors somewhere in Seattle and invites people to share a meal together while hearing the good news of God's love. The one thing that I hear consistently is the peace in the room. People come in and they just go, there's a peace here. I feel peaceful. Brendan Perko literally helped spread this gospel community by starting the Pike Market location three years ago. He sees the dinner table as a very effective tool for discipleship. A lady that's been with us maybe for about maybe two months, two and a half months, she always says, well, I'm not Christian, I'm actually Buddhist, and um, I don't know about all this, but I do know when I come here, I feel uplifted, I feel encouraged, and I feel loved. Brendan made one of his first connections with Tulela, a man he invited in off the street. Some days I'll come in here and I don't even really feel like being here, and, and Brandon would guide me through it, pray with me. That's why I keep coming here, because, because I know it helps. It helps out, so the Lord, God guides me back to these people. Because if I'm not doing this, I'm out there doing other stuff that's not good. These people changed my life. In a city not known for faith, community dinner churches could help change that perception. 20 new locations are planned, one for each walking village around Seattle. We're glad you're here. Okay. And the idea is picking up steam. Community Dinners has garnered national attention from pastors around the country, and it has even proven to be a financially sustainable church model. $1,600 a month, and you can open up a dinner church that'll take care of 150 people a week. And so that's that, so money is really not much of an issue when it's that inexpensive. And now they offer affordable housing and job assistance as part of their service. Eat together, include the poor, include the stranger, and remember me, talk about me. And what better discipleship is there than when you're sitting at a table talking about Christ every week. Verlin and his team have definitely answered Jesus' call to feed my sheep, proving that it only takes a little to reach a great amount of people. Reporting from Seattle, Abigail Robertson, CBN News.
intriguing, isn't it? Now, dinner churches, they're a church model based entirely around the idea of serving a community uh, dinner as a church service. Um, Now, we have a regular church church to begin with, but could you imagine something like that happening here? Once a week, once a fortnight, reaching out to, to make this place a community hub where people could come and have dinner and hear about Christ? Maybe. It certainly works for some people. I almost didn't include that video, but when I went to, uh, to cut it from this sermon, I felt God impress on my heart that that was actually for someone. Uh, so if that's you, and that was for you, please come and speak to me after this service, and we can go and have coffee some other time, and I'll be the first person out of your three this week that you are going to go and eat with. And that is the challenge for this week, to find three people, at least one of them unchurched, and just... Have a meal with them. doesn't matter if that's just coffee and a biscuit or, or going over to their house or having them at your house and doing a full roast meal. Um, find the time. You're going to eat anyway. It doesn't actually take that much more time. But building those relationships within the community of God and to those outside it is such uh, a powerful way to build the relationships that are essential to, to speaking God's gospel into people's lives. And don't forget as well that this week we are not off the hook about our acts of kindness, our uh, words of affirmation, and our gifts. So this week, we have six tasks. I encourage you to take the challenge uh, to do it, to pray about it, to follow through, and come back next week, and we'll have more stories. We'll have good news stories about how we followed through on these things. It's pretty simple stuff, I know, but this is how we, as the people of God, show the world who we are, and that we have a Savior who loves them. And they ought to know too. So let's pray. Father God, there are a thousand people within shouting distance of where we gather right now who desperately need to know that your son Jesus died to make it possible for them to approach you. Give us the courage to make the simple connections required to begin the relationships that open up the way for that gospel, Lord. Be with us this week as we seek to bless people in such a way that they know we are blessed by you. And guide us as we seek to invite people into our homes or out to another place to eat together, to, uh, to know one another, to shelter on the road together. And over time, Lord, to introduce them to the only one who can really walk beside them. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.